Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. And we want to thank you for the challenges that come through your word. And we want to acknowledge, yes, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And Lord, we want to acknowledge the only one we bow down to is Jesus. The only one we worship is Jesus. The only one, oh God, that we desire to lift up is Jesus. And Lord, when we center our life on Jesus, we're doing what your will desires us to do. We're doing what the Holy Spirit desires us to do. And in recognizing Jesus and centering our minds and hearts and lives on him, we are accomplishing the will of the Godhead, of the Trinity. When we do that, we are obedient to the Holy Spirit. When we focus on Jesus, we're obedient to the Father. He is the one who gave that name, Jesus, and said that every knee shall bow. He's the one who said there's no other name given under heaven and earth in which men can be saved but Jesus. Lord, help us as men and women not to look to raise ourselves up, but to lift him up. And by lifting him up, he will lift us up. Samuel says it the best. If I honor him, he will honor me. And there's no greater honor that one of us can receive than having God himself honor us and lift us up. Promotion doesn't come from man. Real praise doesn't come from men and the mouths of men. It comes from the living God. The words that we all seek to hear from him. Well done, my good and faithful servant. It's not about our greatness. It's not about us. It's about him. What we allow him to do in our personal life, in molding us and shaping us. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves under your hand this morning. And may you minister to us, and Lord, we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Salvation in the church. You know, the Cavaliers did not really just lose a game in a sense of losing to the Warriors. They lost a lot more. They lost a lot more. They were not just playing against the Warriors. They were playing against the Big No Journal. They were playing against the Cleveland Plain Dealer. They were playing against all the adverse advertisement and talking about them as a team. 
And I think the Beekner Journal and Cleveland Plain Dealer and other papers did a misservice to them. Because like the church, we often forget this. We're one body, one team. We're one body, one team. James may be the strongest person on the team, and he has a lot of talent and and gifts, but James cannot go out there and win a game all by himself. I think the Vigna Journal and those who were writing about the series during the playoff did the Cavaliers a disservice because psychologically, when you read and you're one of the five players or seven players playing or you're on that team and the paper's talking about James has to carry the team. That's a psychological effect. When it talks about James being this, this, and that and and nobody else really, that's a psychological effect. You can't tell me the other guys were not talking among themselves how the advertisement, how the stories was always focused just on James. And it didn't bother them. When you're on a team and one person is constantly what? It has an effect on the rest of our minds and our own performance. Because eventually you question yourself your own skills, your own abilities. And it takes a very mature person to understand, these are my skills. These are my abilities. These are things I can do, and these are the things I can't do. Uh, uh, These are the things I'm good in, but I'm not good in the others. And that's what makes up a team. One of the things that the church struggles with is this thing called greatness. Who is the greatest preacher? Who is the greatest pastor? Who is the greatest deacon? Who is the greatest usher? Who is the greatest singer? Who is the greatest this? Who is the greatest that? And we get stuck sometime mentally in this greatness because we've lost vision that we're a team. Who is the greatest in the family? Who's the favorite in the family? Who is this? We've lost the idea of family because now we're trying to compare ourselves with each other. Greatness in the church and when you're saved is not something you seek after. It's not something you Seek after. Now, let me explain something here. And this is part of the problem, I think. You don't seek after greatness, but you do seek after being the best you can be for the Lord Jesus Christ. Catch the difference? Greatness is self-seeking. Greatness is promoting self. Greatness is desiring the praises of others. Greatness is after a position above everybody else. 
the best you can be is in the issue of service. That you're being the best you can be for the Lord Jesus Christ. Big difference. And greatness, if you're really saved and growing in the Lord... I'm not saying, boy, we don't all struggle with this because we live in a world of competition. I love the uh, movie, The Great Debaters, because that young boy turns out to be the best debater (laughs) of all of them. And the one guy who thought, boy, he was more or less like the hero hero of the debater, it was that little boy that took natural life experience and how it affected him and explained it to an audience in his day that had been hard for him to understand. Greatness is not sought after if you're in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? It only gets in the way of the one who is great. Understand that. When you're seeking your own greatness, you really don't see the greatness of Jesus Christ. When you're after lifting yourself up, you're missing the issue of lifting up Jesus. When you desire to be great, And to be seen, then Jesus is not seen in you or through you. Greatness for you and I get in our way of allowing people to see the one who is really great, the Lord Jesus Christ. The real great person is the person who makes every person feel great. That's the great person. It's when a person can take other people and lift them up. When people can take other people and really encourage them. When people can take other people and help them to see, in a sense, their own greatness, their own talents, their own ability. That's the great person. But what is he doing? He's serving. He's not promoting himself as something great. But he's serving others. To allow them to see what they can be and become. And how good they are. And helping them to put forth their best. That's the real great person. Churchill simply said it in this fashion. The price of greatness is responsibility. And guess what most of us don't want? The responsibility of serving others. We welcome the responsibility of serving self. But we do not really want the responsibility of serving others. Waiting on others, building up others, esteeming others, 
encouraging others. Most of us are seeking people who will what? Praise us. Lift us up. Acknowledge us. But how much of that do we do for others? In salvation, greatness is not the goal. Greatness is not the real issue. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. God reminds me every now and then that I am a man of clay feet. (laughs) There's nothing wrong, and I want to say this with understanding. There's nothing wrong every now and then when you slip and you sin and you ask for forgiveness. God just reminded you that you are a what? Not that he wants you to sin. But every now and then, you and I have to be reminded. We're not all that great. Every now and then, we have to be reminded. I'm not the one who keeps me from sin. Every now and then, we have to be reminded. This is not my holiness or righteousness. It's whose? It's his. Whether it be done in thought or in an action, God is showing us, yet we are people of clay feet. That's why no Christian can say, I don't sin anymore. Praise God is not some big sin that really hinders or takes away or really causes you to fall, fall, fall far away from him. But it's just enough to remind you. Boy, I need him. I need him. I need him. Because when you start picturing your own greatness, it removes you from the great one. The one who can really help you. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Or seeking your own what? Your own position. Uh, seeking your own, in a sense, greatness. Promoting yourself. And we're going to see that further in Mark chapter 9. We don't do it. Or out of vain conceit, uh, emptiness. But in humility, considering what? Others. Now, that's hard for us to do. Because the first person I'm going to think about is who? That old thing for human kindness says, boy, the first thing is (laughs) self-preservation. And God says just the opposite. It is giving your life for others, not self so much preservation of your life. And yet, when it comes to considering others, that's a growing edge for us. When I can see myself doing something, not so much for the present, for myself right now, but what I'm doing is for others that will follow. And the church should have such an attitude that I'm not just building for my present enjoyment, my present desire, but it is for those who will yet what? Come, those who will yet follow, those who will yet commit themselves to Jesus Christ. I'm thinking of others 
not just self. And he moves us on. Consider others better than your what? Yourself. Each of you should take not only your own interests, but also the interests of who? Others. And we're still learning that. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, how much growth you think you have. Boy, we're still learning that process about other people. We're still learning. Not so much my own interests, but the interests of others. We're still learning that. It's not about my hardships or my pains, but it's the hardship and the pain of others. It's not about what I have. It's concerned about what others may have and don't have. To see people in Colombia having no running water, but have to go out and carry five-gallon buckets of water back two or three miles to their home, having but one room for four or five people to sleep in, to see on a small motorbike five or six people hanging on, to see no electricity in a house, It makes you think. And even my thought while we was on the bus, boy, if Elaine and I, when we retire, what happens if we go to a country like that and just want to minister to people? Rather than just think of our own enjoyment, our own comfort. But what would happen if we went to a country like that with people who are hurting and our desire was to minister to them. Boy. Now, the question for us to answer is this. Whose greatness are we truly seeking? (laughs) Whose greatness are you really seeking? Whose praise are you really seeking? Whose? Who are you seeking to promote? Who are you seeking to uplift? Who are you seeking in your life that others might see? Who are you truly seeking this greatness for? Who are we designed to build up? For the word simply says, if Jesus be lifted up, he would do what? draw all men unto himself. If he's really lifted up, he'll draw all men unto himself. If he's lifted up. Now, this is the problem for the disciples. And the reason I say it's a problem for them because they're in the early stages And they are thinking just like you and I do. Which one of us is going to be the great one? There's no question right now who the leader is. Jesus Christ. But to hear Jesus talk about he's leaving, he's going to be put to death, the question comes in, who's going to be the great one now? Some of us are even thinking, 2020, who's going to be the next president? We we haven't even got 
have term with this president, but yet we're already asking who? Who's going to be the next president? And some people are even starting to plan. And the whole process, who will be the next great one? Who will be the next one that rises up to a certain level for us that we can put our hope in and, and that we can see what we call sometime light at the end of the tunnel? Who, who is that one? Turn with me to Matthew 18.1. Just want to hit just very quickly just the thing that is there that is being argued among the disciples because... It is a problem for them, or I don't think it would come up as much, but it's a problem. He says in 18.1, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That should have been one already answered. I would say to that one, that's, that's a dumb, dumb question. Whose heaven, is you, whose heaven are you going to? Who sits on the throne in heaven? Don't ask me about who is the greatest. If God isn't the greatest one in heaven, if Jesus is not the greatest one, that's a dumb, dumb question. But yet, they ask it. Because, again, without asking, you don't learn. I don't care how foolish the question might be. But they ask that question. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Turn over to Luke 22. Luke 22. Because, again, this thing comes up. Pick up with me in verse 24. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Which of them considered to be the greatest? And the issue is this thing of greatness. Who is the greatest? Now, go to Mark 10. To help bring it out just a little bit further. Go to verse 35. And again, we're talking about who's the greatest. And, and, what, and what I want you to see is men uh, desiring to position themselves. Never desire to position yourself. Now, that doesn't mean you don't desire to rise up in your place of employment. There's nothing wrong with desiring to be the CEO of a company. There's nothing wrong with desiring to be a foreman or this in a company. The desire comes, what's wrong with it is this, is when you are willing to go about it the wrong way. When you're willing to hurt somebody else and defame somebody else and knock somebody else's down in order to lift yourself up. That's wrong. I I don't know how God did this, but when I go back over my life, I never applied for a job. It always came to me. 
from the time I left high school, even when I was in high school working for the Board of Education, Mr. Beeler, the head custodian, I'm in 12th grade. He said, Gus, would you like to work a five-hour job at another school? Well, I'm playing basketball, football. And I said yes. And, and yet I did them all. I, I, I went to football practice, played the games, but I would always get to the school, get my work done. Sometime I would have to check in at school around about 10 o'clock, do my classrooms, clean them, clean the hallways, my steps, then go home, wake up early in the morning, do my little homework assignment, off to school. When I graduated, Beck Cotton Wilcock hired me in and started training me as a welder. (laughs) And then I got drafted. (laughs) And when I came back, I was planning on going back to Bear Cotton Wilcock, but I got a call from Local 70. Gus, would you like to become an apprentice in heating and air conditioning? Yeah. If the conditions have changed, yes. Then I had a call from the unemployment office one day. And they said, Mr. Brown, Chrysler is looking for a minority to be in their sheet metal. And somehow your name came up. Would you be willing to report at Chrysler in such and such a time and go through an interview? And I remember the general foreman who interviewed me told me I wasn't qualified. Well, I didn't argue with him. I'm trained in an apprenticeship. You have an in-house apprenticeship that's nowhere near what the outside apprenticeship goes through. And I just said, fine. I already had a job. Go back to my job. A couple of days later, I get a call from personnel saying, Mr. Brown, we would like for you to work for Chrysler. But I want you to know this. Chrysler is not prejudiced. And he said, would you come up and talk to me? And I did. But this is the agreement that we made. He said, Mr. Brown, if you fight out there for any reason, I'll fire you. I'll fire you. Then that's fine. And went to work for Chrysler then. But what I'm trying to illustrate is this. God always promoted. God always placed me. Even when it came to church, I was not expecting when I graduated to come back here. You can ask Elaine. I was planning to go to California, back out towards the military base where I was at, and plant a church out there for military folks. Then I got a call from up here from some men and started flying up here. But God always placed me. God always opened the door. And I believe God will do that in any of his children's life if they will let him. Because he's the one who promotes. He's the one who elevates. He's the one who places us in positions. He does it. I don't have to seek greatness. I just have to seek Jesus. And he lifts me up to greatness. 
not on my standard or human standards, but on his standards. Now, the disciples are arguing about this issue, about this subject, about who's going to be great. Go with me to Mark chapter 9, because they're in this big debate issue about who's going to be great. And sometime in life, we want to be everything but what God wants us to be. And that's our first failure. Desiring to be something else other than what God really wants you to be. What is it when God says, be a holy man, a righteous man, a man after God's own heart? What is that? This is what I ought to be. And I should run after those things. What is it when it talks about godly women, then godly women teaching younger women? What is that? He, he's telling you about your character, what you ought to be like, what you ought to be doing. He's sharing something with us. And here's the disciples, just like you and I do, comparing themselves and arguing among themselves. Who is the greatest? Now, I want you to take note of something here. Nowhere in Scripture do we find Jesus saying, Peter, when I go, you'll be in charge. Now, we do hear Jesus say to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. But that's not just to Peter. That's to who? Really, all that was there. What they ought to be doing as apostles, feeding the sheep. Feeding the church. Now, he didn't appoint anyone to be second in command. Nor among the twelve. He didn't give any ranking that you're a, hey, you are a major, uh, you're a captain, oh, you're a sergeant. Man does that. Man does that for ranking and so forth. And to have some type of order among himself. God only uses one thing, servitude. Where are you as a servant? How do you see yourself as a servant? It's not a ranking. It's a title that we all have. And if we understand this, the servant is always positioned where the master placed them based on their skills and abilities and their willingness in a sense. Because even when you're a servant, you have to be willing to give your best. That's why I don't understand about people when, when you work. When I was laid off one time, I could take, I would earn more money collecting unemployment but I wanted to learn how to cook chicken. Church's chicken was just opening up, so I applied for Church's chicken. And Church's chicken was not going to pay me as much as my unemployment was. But I wanted to learn how to cook chicken. And I took that job at Church's chicken, and I just threw myself in it. I learned how to cut the chicken up because I didn't know how to cut a chicken. You know, 
Only thing I didn't have at home, I didn't have the bandsaw that they had. <laughs> but they would, I was taught how to cut that wing, how to cut that breast part. Because with Church's Chicken at that time, everything came as the whole chicken, and you went in the freezer with the bandsaw, and you learned how to cut that chicken. I learned how to wait on people, which I can be very short-tempered with people. Don't give me two or three orders. Give me one order, and what you want, take it, and goodbye, and be happy. Amen. I'll give you the chicken. Don't, don't let me put the breast in there and you tell me you want the thigh. No, you said breast. Here it is. Take it. Goodbye. You know. It taught me how to serve and wait on people. Jesus had not given out ranks. What Jesus does is place us in positions that he wants us to be without rank. The rank is you're a servant. In God's sight, we are all servants. And there's only one head, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something these disciples have to deal with. So in that Mark 9, he says, they came to Caprinium in verse 33. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? These guys are arguing, bickering, fighting. Man, I'm greater than you. No, I'm greater than you. Remember when I did this, you only did that. Remember when I spoke to the crowd, but you only swept the floor. Remember this? Oh, man, no, I'm the greatest. And Paul learned a lesson when he says in Philippians, I count all that stuff that I achieved and I thought would make me great as all but dung for the excellency of Jesus Christ. For the knowledge of Christ and to know him and just be a servant of his. A Pharisee of a Pharisee meant nothing. Knowing all philosophies meant nothing. A Hebrew of a Hebrew was nothing. All the earthly greatness he one time ran after, he realized really meant nothing. But to know Jesus, to know Jesus is the greatest achievement you will ever achieve. To serve Jesus is the greatest thing you will ever do, is to serve him. Being the president of something, heading a country, being the mayor, being a council person, being a school teacher, being a doctor, being a lawyer, being a police officer, a fireman, being whatever it is, a janitor, being whatever... Nothing's never greater than being the servant of the Most High God. You can't get beyond that. And these men are in their earthly air. They're in their flesh. And the argument is surrounding who's going to be great here.
And see, it's strange how in each chapter, each one of these follow, is right after Jesus talked about what's going to happen to him. Rather than considering Jesus and his kingdom, they're caught up with arguing about their own greatness. Not about the kingdom of God. What's going to further the kingdom of God? What's going to further the church? They're all caught up with what? The greatness of self. The greatness of self. And the whole thing is that you and I got to come to that place that, boy, it is not about ourself. It's not about us. It really is all about him. Now, Jesus asked, what are you arguing about? And guess what? Nobody said anything. (laughs) Why? The wrong argument. The simple argument. Because it's about promoting who? Self and not him. It's It's about their greatness, not about his greatness. It's about where they're going to land at and what position and what they're going to have, what authority they're going to have, what power they will have. It's not about him. And he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet. Over in Luke 9, it tells us he knew their thoughts. He knew their thoughts. He knew what they were arguing about. He knew their fleshliness. He knew their worldliness. And understand something about you and I. We still have some worldliness in us. That's why Paul says, yes, you're saved, but I can't minister to you with me. I still have to give you what? Yes. But as we mature in Christ... We understand whatever your hands find to do, you do it with all your might, all your power for the glory of God. That's maturity. It's not about, boy, I'm, I have to sweep the floors, I have to clean the glass, I have to cut the grass, I have to do this. Or I have, no, you learn to do whatever it is that will glorify Him. You're never above a task. You've never grown where you're so important that you can't do this little thing. You've never grown so important or have such a title that you cannot come down and do this. That's for somebody else to do. You don't see yourself greater than others. You don't see yourself, in a sense, better than others. Because we don't measure ourselves by ourselves. We see Jesus in him only. But they all kept quiet. The one who could answer, they didn't bring into the conversation. The one who could have said, oh, this is the greatest one, they never brought him really in. But Jesus knew that that was a problem for them. Jesus understood this argument. 
would only lead to one self-destruction. Self-destruction. When you seek greatness, you will destroy yourself. When you desire to be great amongst others, you will destroy yourself. Because greatness has become your goal and your ambition to be above everybody else. Not as a servant, but as one who sees themselves better than everyone else. He understood it was separation. And that's what I think would happen to the Cleveland Cavalier. Because James Hype was way up here, but the other 11, 13 members were way down here. That it caused a psychological problem of playing with James. Like James could win it all by himself. Well, we're going to have to play the game whether James is here or not. We're all considered pros. We all have a different ability, a different skill, a a different way of playing this game. And you could not tell me from what these men were reading, there was not a psychological effect on them. Just take it back to grade school. The one who can run the fastest and know he's the fastest, what do he always want to do? He always want to race. (laughs) He's the one that knows he can beat everybody else. (laughs) But the one who knows he can't run, he don't even want to what? Run or compete. The one who reads good, what's the first thing they do in the classroom when you ask for somebody to read? Because all eyes go on who? On them for that moment. Those little children grow up to be adults with the same type of attitudes and have to deal still with that problem. Who's the greatest? Who am I? Rather than seeing themselves as individuals with certain skills and talents that God has given. And then, at their cause separation, it also causes a lot of envy. When you think of yourself greater than somebody else, how does that other person see you? Oh, you think you're holier than thou. You think you are so righteous. Oh, you think you're some type of a giant of a Christian just because you do this. It causes a lot of envy on the inside. And then, as envy takes its toll on the inside, you see it then demonstrated on the outside by strife. I'll do whatever I can do to cause you to what? I'll do whatever I have to do to trip you up. I'll tarnish your name. 
I'll disrespect you. And that's all the strife that comes in. Go to Proverbs 20, verse 3. You may want to just underline this little verse and just say it to yourself even. And we're going to look at another one in Second Samuel later on also. But look at verse 3. He says, it is to a man's honor, to a man's respect, to avoid strife. To avoid strife. Romans 12 tells us to live with every man as peacefully, if it's possible, where at? In you. Live with every man peacefully, not striving with him. Having a clean heart towards him. No envy or jealousy towards him. No hatred towards him. But when you start seeing yourself as great, you're going to cause envy and division among your own ranks, among your own friends. And he says, boy, it is to a man's honor to avoid strife. But every fool is quick to what? Quarrel. You see these 12 fools? going down the road, arguing and quarreling about who's going to be the greatest? They couldn't answer that among themselves. And sometimes, even in church life, there's questions we're asking we can't answer among ourselves. It takes prayer and allowing God to give the answer. There are sometimes, Elaine and I, we can't settle on an answer, but it takes prayer and God directs us. We forget 1 Corinthians 12, 12, that we are a body, we're a team. Can the foot say to the eye, I don't need you? We need each other. We're great as one unit, not as individuals. We're great as the body of Christ. Not individuals. We're great at Akron Lions Fellowship. Not just pastor or elders or this group or that group. We're great only as we are functioning as one. And the body of Christ, we forget we're a team. I think the Cavaliers forgot they were a team. They were not just James. They were a team that has to play together. The one who wants to be great must be the servant of all when Jesus comes. Go to verse 35. And he comes down to this here. He says, Setting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. The one who wants to be great in his mind or whatever has to put himself as the servant of everyone else. The one who wants to be great puts himself last, not first. Just the opposite of human characteristics. Human characteristic wants to be first. One of the worst things I think that takes place in the church, and this doesn't have nothing to do with respect, I don't think. Well, we set a table up, and the pastor goes first and everything, eat first, everything. He's the shepherd. Who is the first he is to see about? The sheep. Not self. But people do that. People do that. And as I share some time with people, always understand this. You're the one who's making your pastor. (laughs) You're the one that's creating your pastor. 
You're the one that's helping your pastor to grow. And, and the thing here, he says, if you want to be great, be a servant. Be a servant. If you really want to be great, be a servant to all. Go over to Luke 22. Because he brings out now the world view of this thing and how the world acts with it. Again, he says in that verse 24, and we're just going to read down a little bit. He says, in Luke 22, he said, Also a dispute arose among as to which of them was considered to be great. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them called themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. You are not to be like the world. That's how, that's how the world sees greatness. The king sees greatness. In the movie Robin Hood, one of the last ones, remember what the king promised? That every man's home would be his castle, every man would be this, and every man would be that. But once he had defeated France or defeated his enemy from invading, he went back on his word. And in the movie, he makes Robin Hood at the end an outlaw because he is king. People, when you think of yourself as the king and you think of yourself as the final authority and you think of yourself as somebody great and you don't see God who is above you, you are in trouble. Understand this thing here. Pastor, elder, deacon, they're only positions that God has set up. They're not about greatness. <laughs> They're functional positions in the body of Christ. They're functional positions. Don't make pastors or elders or this person or person in music or person who sings well or better than someone. Don't make them greater than what they are. They're just using what God has gifted them with. And all of us should be willing to use what God has gifted us with for his glory. And his praise. And he, he, he goes on in this chapter here. Let me get back to it. Because he finishes up with something that all of us have to learn from. And, uh, and he goes on. He says, where I leave off. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. What do the youngest do in the family sometimes? They have to serve who? <laughs> Everybody's telling them what to do. Okay? And he says, and the one who rules like the one who, what? Serves. Now, for who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table but I am among you as one who what? Boy, what did he just do? You're at the table, and I'm serving you. Which one's the greatest? Again, that's a no-brainer. Jesus is the greatest among us, and yet he is serving. 
When you look at John 13, we're not going to go there because of time's sake. He's washing the feet. But guess what doesn't happen in that story? Nobody says, Lord, I'll help you. Lord, give me the towel. You wash, I'll dry. Why? Because washing the feet was a symbol of being a slave or a servant. So Peter is saying, he gets down to that verse thing around eight, whatever. He said, not me, Lord. And what Peter is thinking about is this. Lord, you are here. I'm not going to put you down here. You're up here. But understand something in life. If you know who you are, nobody can take it from you. If you know who you are and what God has assigned you to do, there's no shame in it, no embarrassment in it, and you know for whom you are working for. And Jesus says to Peter, unless I wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. And what Peter said, wash it all, Lord. But yet, look who's serving. But nobody volunteered to say, give me a towel. Give me a bucket too. And he says, this is an example of what really leadership and greatness is. That you're never too great to stoop to the lowest thing and do it. And do it. And that's where you and I, we're, we're still learning. We're still growing. Because every one of us want to be served. Every one of us want to be great. Every one of us want that. But is that of the flesh or is that of the Lord? Is your greatest desire to be the best servant you can be for the Lord Jesus Christ? Is your greatest desire to be the best pastor, the best teacher, the best caregiver that you can be? Whatever you're doing is your desire to honor God in it. Or is it just yourself? And Jesus pulls that little child to himself. And in one sense he says to them, this is what you're acting like. You're acting like a child. You're arguing amongst yourself. You're acting like a child. And you're showing your worldliness. And one thing about a child is this. They're humble. And they're honest. Until they learn how to lie and be crooked. And they don't have to be taught how to lie. It's just what comes natural. But they don't practice it from day one. They're honest. It's surprising. I have a bunch of little kids that walk past my office. I got two names. Grandpa or Daddy. Yeah. But every now and then I pull one in because they're crying. They're all teared up. And I sit them in the chair right there and I'll sit in the other chair and I What's going on in life? What's hurting? And it's surprising what comes out their mouth. If you ask a child a question, you'll be surprised what you'll learn about home and everything else. 
And see, they were quiet. So they weren't really honest with Jesus. But Jesus knew that that was a problem for them. Greatness depends on what God is going to do through you. These three verses and then we're done. Greatness really depends on what God is going to do through you. Go to 2 Samuel. Another verse to underline, uh, another verse to put in your heart and to understand. You really are God's workmanship. You really are what God is developing. When you see yourself great, there's nothing else God can do for you. But when you see yourself in low esteem, when you see yourself as someone unworthy, when you see yourself in desperate need of Jesus in your life and the Holy Spirit ministering through you, now God can do something with you. But if you're like old dried up clay, you can't do anything until I put some moisture in it. But in that verse 33, and just follow me down to verse 36. Look what he says here in Second, in second Samuel 29. He, well, let me get to verse 33. 38, 36, mm-hmm. 33. It is God who arms me with strength. Who gives me strength? Yeah, God does. We were praying for two people this morning up in my office as we met. God has to give them strength. God has to raise them up. God has to do it. But I, I like what Samuel said. He gives me strength. He doesn't say if I'm 12 years old or if I'm 82 years old. My strength cometh from who? From the Lord. He said he gives me strength. Then he goes on. He's, he makes my way perfect. Who makes my way? God does. God sets my path. He makes it perfect for me. Not me. And most of us are trying to work to make life what? Easy and perfect and a bed of roses. God is the one who makes my way perfect. Then he goes on, he says in 34, He makes my feet like the feet of deer. For what purpose? He enables me to stand on heights. He's able to make me stand on the cliffs of the mountain. He's able to help me to stand in high places. He helps me. He gives me the ability. When you reach certain heights, you need to understand something. Everybody's trying to pull you down. Everybody's trying to knock you off. Remember that little game where they used to play King of the Hill and people would run at you to try to knock you where? Off the hill? That's real life. That's real life. Satan will do all he can do to knock you off the hill that God has set you on. And he goes on and he says, in verse 35, he trains my hands. When you go back in the Old Testament further, when Israel first coming out of captivity... God says, I've taught them, I've given them wisdom and knowledge how to deal with iron, how to deal with gold, how to deal with this, and how to deal with that. God gave them the skills that they needed. 
Don't think that what you do is by your own perfection. It's by what God puts in your mind, in your heart. It's what God puts into your hands. Remember this, especially young people. Kai, listen to me. It's what God will develop in Kai. It's not Kai. It's what God will develop. All four of you, you're being developed right now into the men that you are going to become. Turn around, look at them two older guys. They were once where you are. And yet, they're still being developed. And God says, he's the one who developed the hands. He's the one who develops you to do what you're going to do. He trains my hands. Underline that. He trains my hands. He teaches me. For battle, my arms can bend a bow of bronze. And then look at this 36. If you don't underline anything else, at least do this one. Listen to what he says. And then what I want you to do is catch a visual picture of Jesus Christ coming down and doing this in your life. You give me your shield of victory. We are victorious in Jesus Christ. We are conquerors in Jesus Christ. You stoop down. Who's stooping down? God is. He is stooping down to serve me. He's stooping down to do something in me. He's leaving his heights of glory to come down here and do something in a sinful Gus Brown. He's doing something. But he's stooping down. He's coming down from his height. He's coming down from his majesty. He's coming down from his greatness in a sense. He's coming down from his glory. He stoops down to make me what? Great. Catch the picture? I'm not about me making me great. I ought to be about allowing him to make me great. Not in the sight of people per se but in the sight of him. Can you see Jesus doing that? Stooping down, coming down to earth to lift us up out the mire clay and make us great. Not from the greatness of man, but in the likeness of Jesus in this area of service becomes my greatness. And Peter simply says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that in due time he'll what? Boy, we want it when? Right now. We want to be recognized right now. We want people to praise us right now. We want everything to happen right now. 
He says, in due season, in God's time, he'll do what? Lift you up. Lord, these folks talking about me. Lord, this is happening to me. It seems like I'm not going nowhere. And I work so hard. And and I do this and I do that. Just keep on doing. Don't become envious of the wicked and what the wicked have. Keep on doing what is righteous. Keep on doing the right thing. And God says, in due time, I'll lift you up. I'll lift you up. Last verse, Colossians chapter 3. Turn to it. Because this is what we all should all be about. In verses 23 and 24. And the disciples were learning about greatness. Their desire as human beings was to be great. Not knowing that God is the one who makes us great. Not in man's sight, but in his sight. There's going to be something in heaven for some people who think they have really done something great for the kingdom of God. And God pulls up this little peon from way back here. Say, come here. You are really great because without you, he would have never been seen. (laughs) Without you, he wouldn't have even been known. (laughs) Without you, he couldn't have done what he did. And God's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. God never says, oh, how great you are. He always compliments on us on our what? On our servitude. How faithful you've been as a servant of the Most High God. In the Colossians 3, 23 and 24, Let me get down there. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do in life, work at it with all your heart. If you're going to push a broom, be the best broom sweeper you can be. Whatever it is that you do, if you teach school, be the best school teacher you can be. If you're a homemaker, be the best homemaker you can be for your kids and your husband when they come home, they're there. If you're a husband, be the best provider. Be the best lover of your wife. Be the one that your kids can honor and highly respect. Be your very best at it. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for who? The Lord. Not for men. You're not after the praises of men. You're after the praise of God. You're not after to be called great by men. But you're called to be seen as great in God's sight. There's so much in this lesson today. Because we do lose sight of our main purpose sometime. And we begin to run after our own greatness rather than really understanding when I lose sight of God 
and I'm running after my own greatness, I've gotten in his way. I no longer see his greatness because I'm only seeing whose? My own. And I forget he comes from heaven to earth to lift me up and make me great, not in men's sight, but in God's sight. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for upholding us, for building us up, for working in our lives, for delivering us, and also, Lord, at times reminding us we do have feet of clay and that we are a people who must be desperately dependent upon you for everything in life. And Lord, would you teach our hands how to work? Not for self, not even for others per se, but that our hands work for your glory. Help us in our minds, Lord, not to run after our own glory, Help us not to run after our own greatness. Help us not to run after vain pride or emptiness when life is done. But help us, Lord, to run after being the best servant we can be of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we might hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. He doesn't say great servant, but faithful servant. Help us, Lord, to be that. Allow us to know all greatness belongs to you. All praise and glory belong to you. Let it never stop at our doorstep. But help us to always be able to say, It is my God. My Jesus, my Holy Spirit who dwells in me, that allows me to be what I am at this moment. It's all his glory and his praise. Thank you, Lord.